And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Fast PP. Top rookie, I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tater. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up to date. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to. The. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you recording on a Friday morning. The sun is out, at least where I am. Uh, and the Celtics. The clouds are out where I am. Well, I bring the sunshine. I'm a, I'm a, a ray of positivity. But the Celtics, Jay, let me. Let me know if you've heard this one. Had some injuries this week. Had some guys who were out. And in the games in which their good players were out, they lost to a bad team. And then when their good players returned, they beat an average team. Um, All of their good players are back. Kemba and Marcus Smart were both out against the Hornets. But they had Jason Tatum and they had... Robert Williams. And I think Robert Williams is where we'll start. I asked you guys for a bunch of questions and things like that. We're going to get to that later, but I wanted to first start just talking about the impact Robert Williams has on the court. The Celtics are seven and one in April when he plays. It just feels like the offense is so much better uh, when he's on the court. He only played 15 minutes, I think, last night, but he really punished Bismack Biombo, which is fun. The, the Hornets, my man Nick Friedman made an excellent adjustment by not playing Bismack in the second half. But just when the Celtics have Time Lord on the court, it feels like their offense is so much more potent and dangerous. And it's like it's approaching what we think their kind of full potential can truly be. Like I think the the Hornets game is much more representative of who the Celtics are than the loss to the Thunder, which you've just discarded every bad loss, though. Well, yeah, because they've had players be out for every bad loss. But at some point, like it matters that you can't summon enough to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder after two bad losses before that. At some point, it matters that the Charlotte Hornets kicked the shit out of you 
on the road when you have most of your players available except Robert Williams. Like, I feel like you have been very quick to just not at all take into oh. account. Oh, absolutely. The bad. Well, yeah, the Maybe bad you is are caused a by ray playing of positivity. <laughs> I have I have ever not been a ray of positivity. I mean, I don't know, like the Thunder game, they should have won that game. They also shot 22% from three, and the Thunder's game plan was to let them shoot from three. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown each attempted 10 threes when Kemba and Jason Tatum were not there, so the scoring burden felt like it was on them. Like they took the shots that the Thunder kind of gave to them, and they just missed a bunch. Marcus Smart had a really bad game uh in terms of shooting they still like i don't know it just feels like the team is that much better when they have robert williams when they don't have to kind of scramble to play all these small ball lineups when uh they're not relying on guys like uh shemi ogelay and i guess aaron neesmith romeo lankford although neesmith had a better game against the hornets does this mean like I have confidence in this team if they are healthy for the playoffs. If they don't have any of their top guys for the playoffs, my confidence is completely gone because we've seen they cannot consistently win basketball games with kind of any of their guys out. And so I do think Robert Williams is very important for that. I'll have more confidence if he's in the lineup. But we've seen this team struggle in April when he's been gone and when they missed a lot of uh, when he missed a lot of games. But they play so much better when he's back that I don't know. 7-1 is a a record that I feel like I should – there's reason to be optimistic about that. Sure. That is, that is a good record with Robert Williams in the lineup. I just feel like a lot has to go right for the Celtics to do anything of note in the playoffs. They have to be healthy. They have have to be healthy. Evan Fournier has to be a lot better by the time the postseason comes around and, I don't think it's his fault. Like Brad Stevens brought up the term foggy, which probably means he's dealing with brain fog from COVID-19, which is one of the after effects. I don't want to play a basketball game if I have brain fog. That feels like it'd be difficult. uh, Reading about it, it's kind of like if you're jet lagged or, you know, you, you have just a couple hours of sleep and you just feel groggy and out of it and, and you, I mean, you can see in his play that he kind of feels out of it. Um, he's barely made any shots whatsoever since coming back from COVID. But they need him to be very good because he's going to be playing, what, 30 minutes a game in the playoffs? And they need him to be able to play 30 minutes a game because the other options aren't very compelling, although Aaron Neesmith has been hooping lately. Um, and then, like, we just haven't seen much of in the way of their success like they had one winning streak and you talk about the 7-1 record with Robert Williams it stems basically from one winning streak all season like they had a good start to the season what were they eight and three they were on top of the Eastern Conference for like 10 seconds and other than that like they've had one winning streak that's it this this whole season and so, yes, theoretically, I think their playoff rotation could be very good. It could be better than it was last season. It could be impressive. But, like, I'm not as ready to discard a game like that against the Thunder because what they showed was that they were far too willing to 
take what the Thunder gave them instead of taking what they wanted. And and that's been an issue for them dating back to last season. Like they have to dictate the terms on offense. They have to not settle for the wrong types of shots. And they've had stretches this season where they, they've played great offense and they've moved the ball and they've done all those things. But too often they settle and fall back into their bad habits. And and so I, I think the game against the Thunder, like, yeah, they didn't have some key players, including Jason Tatum, who's the key player. But they also, like, it It was they showed symptoms of what's kind of plagued them when they've been bad this season. Yeah, it, I, I can't excuse what I have preferred that they won the Thunder game. What I preferred <laughs> that they beat bad teams, yes. But like also Jabari Parker and Luke Cornett, like the things that keep happening, it's been consistent in how inconsistent they've been when they've had to go deep into their bench. They've had something like, what, 29 different starting lineups this year and um, – no starting lineup has played more than four games consecutively. And so I agree with you that you would rather that they play better. I don't think you can use the lineup uh, uh, entire, like as the total excuse, but I think it's just like wild to ign- like completely ignore that there just haven't been a chance to have any sort of consistency in terms of lineup and they've had the most games missed due to COVID. Like these are all factors. I agree with you. Would I have liked to see them pull out a win against the uh, – Oklahoma City Thunder, who I think are actively tanking and lost 14 in a row and uh, had players who I had never heard of making just big buckets down the stretch. Yes, I would have preferred they have won that basketball game. Is it much more uh, kind of do I understand why people immediately called it the worst loss of the season? Yes, because everyone's focused on the standings right now and they had a chance to kind of gain a game because it was the worst loss of the season. Was it the like they've had? Was the I think the Sunday uh, loss to the Hornets was a pretty bad one. They've had some pretty bad losses every year, and they're everyone's just oh, they lost to Poku. Poku's a problem, bro. Yeah, for his own team. No, Poku's legit. Poku's gonna put on uh 70 pounds on that frame and uh he's gonna dominate the league for years. You, you don't know, seem that, to believe that's in that's a no coup from me, bro. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> But, like, I don't know what to say at this point. Should we be surprised that they lose a game when they don't have Tatum and Kemba and Robert Williams? Like, it just... To the Thunder, yeah. Okay, okay. but but to your point, like, Brad Stevens, his messaging all along has basically been, we're not going to be great when when we're out, when we have guys out. Someone asked him before that Thunder game about trying to get the Celtics to peak. And he basically said, I think he directly said, we're not going to peak if we're not all healthy. And and he then after the game, he said, he said, I'm not going to beat up the guys that were in the locker room that were playing today for, for that loss. We're going to move on to tomorrow and try to get ready to play the Hornets. And then he doubled down on not really, not not caring, but on, kind of giving the Celtics a little slack and said, you know, I thought we played hard against the Thunder. I thought that the reaction was total overreaction. And like, he wasn't very upset about the way they played against the Thunder, even though he thought that they settled for bad shots. 
Um, but the thing that's so, wild to me is so like he, he's hurt. been very willing to give them slack this year when when they've been shorthanded. Um, so have and, I. <laughs> yeah, and and I think I think he he's just kind of approached this season in a way that he's just wanted to survive all the bad stuff and just get through it with the team spirit intact. That's like, that seems to be his only objective. And for a while, I thought that that was kind of a mistake. And, and I thought like he was risking losing, not losing the team, but losing like, like just, I guess not losing the team in the sense that they don't follow him anymore. They don't appreciate him. They won't do what he wants, but more so like, like that was a way to get guys disengaged and get guys to not care about the season. But, but as they have gotten healthier, like they have had stretches where they've been pretty good and, and you can see what he's trying to do. Um, by just kind of keeping them together and and letting them know, hey, we can we can be pretty fucking good if if we're healthy and if we're playing together at the right time. And that's that's kind of seems to be, and I'm I'm sure some people have issues with that. Um, like some fans, I'm sure some 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 people, some some analysts. But and like I said, I, for a while I thought that was a mistake, and and that he risked. Um, kind of damaging the spirit of his team but but they they've kind of gotten through a lot and we'll see so i don't know this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to michelobultra.com Slash courtside to learn more. It's all about know. that. It's all about that growth mindset, baby. You got to control. You control. Like you can't get too high after a win. Can't get too low after a loss to the Thunder. Like I think the thing that was like wild to see was the the questioning of uh, the leadership. I think that came after that loss to the Thunder it is mostly came from um, the goat Mike Gorman, who said in an interview. And I think if you listen to the actual interview, he said, I don't know if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have the leadership skills right now, like in this moment, in this season. Um, didn't say that he doesn't think they can develop it, but it was talking about this season. But immediately it gets aggregated. It turns into like Mike Gorman doesn't think that these guys can be leaders. Then you have everyone talking about leadership. And it's like, what leadership moment is Jalen Brown going to do or Jason Tatum in that game on the Thunder uh, like I guess you. Well, Tatum you, was out, so I know that's what I'm trying to say. Tatum was out. What's he going to do to get them to make more shots? To not shoot 22 percent from three? Like I guess Jalen could be more aggressive in attacking the basket. Um, he had like I, 38 points or whatever. He's been very good. Um, in shouldering, like having the scoring burden be on him the past two games. Like I just thought it was a like kind of a ridiculous thing that people are getting very upset. Like I think they're. Yes, they're both very young guys who are the top like people on this team. Um, but I don't know. It just feels odd to kind of question their leadership when it's been the craziest of seasons. Yeah, I I think, and I'm just 
I think if there is room to question their leadership, it's more of like they're not Kevin Garnett types, right? Like they're not guys who are going to come in and lift up everybody's intensity by just being fucking loco. And and I think there's room for a, a guy like that. There's room for energy like that. Um, and if your best player is like that, it can really, really guide your team in the right direction. I think KG is like the perfect example of that. When when he was on the Celtics, like he just changed everything from the first day he got there. But that said, like those two guys, they set a very good example. They work hard as hell. They always add to their games. They play both ends of the court. Tatum has played through, you know, some nagging injuries. They've they've both played huge minutes. Jalen's been playing through the the nagging knee injury. So I think those guys like they they lead in their own way. They're not going to be KG at, at least at this stage of their careers. They'll probably never be KG because nobody's KG. Um but I do think there's there's room for you know guys around them like that like like Marcus Smart or you know like like other veteran leaders to to kind of help guide them especially at this stage of their careers when they're 22 and 23 and maybe not ready to to be that like leading force day in day out that just kind of drags guys along with them well Marcus Smart is you would think be that guy. He's the fiery, intense guy. He'll throw the chair in the locker room during the Eastern Conference final. He will threaten the ref with violent language after a terrible loss to the Thunder. And it feels like he got suspended. We don't know at this point what exactly was said, but he was very frustrated with the referees after that game. But it's like that is where that's going to come from on this team, just knowing Jason and Jalen's personality. They're not like in your face guys who are going to scream at you. And it's like that worked for KG, but I'm trying to think of like around the league, the other like very top teams, who is that guy who's the emotional leader, but also best player on the team outside of, I guess, LeBron. I'm just trying to think of like, is Giannis a guy who's going to scream in your face? Is Joel Embiid doing that? I'm asking. I genuinely don't know. Not necessarily like scream in your face, but just be that energy setter every single day. You know, like 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 the guy and I think, you know, for a while, like Aaron Baines was that for the Celtics, like he would come in and it would be him kind of leading the way with his work. Um, Sounds like you're talking about Time Lord setting that energy seven and one in April. I'm going to use that stat so much. Captain Time Lord. But but yeah, like like I, I don't think it necessarily has to be your best player, but the more guys you have to to lift the energy of everyone around them like that matters. And if, if that, those, that guy is your best player that carries more weight. So like, like a Kyle Lowry type, you know, like, like he helps set that tone for the entire organization of, we're not going to take shit. We're going to play hard as fuck. And, and we're going to just keep working. And I think you've seen a lot of those teams with him there take on that personality. Um, so what I mean what other top top players are like that you I mean you kind of see like the obviously I Jokic is probably a weird example because he's not like 
super energy guy, <laughs> but but you kind of see that team take on like like his joy for basketball, you know, where where he sets sets that standard of we're going to have fun and we're going to pass the rock and let's fucking do this. And so I, I think you can lead in different ways. Um, yeah, I, I think for the most part, like criticizing their leadership, I'm I'm not ready to do that. I think most of the issues for this team have been personnel related, injury related, COVID related. And, and now, and on top of that, those two guys like kind of learning how to carry a team that doesn't have as much talent around them. Like they, they were on a loaded team when, when Tatum first came into the league, he was on a, a pretty loaded team with, with Kyrie um, and Jalen and, and would have been Gordon Hayward. But even then it was like Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier. Like there, there was a lot of talent on that team. Um, The next year they were even more talented when Kyrie came back and Gordon Hayward came back. And so this is really the first year they've had to carry guys who aren't as talented. And so that there is a huge difference in that. And there's a huge difference in the way you have to play to to maximize, you know, a guy who who's not, not going to be out there to score and who's not going to be really helping you with spacing or anything like that. There's just a different pressure. And so I think they have struggled to deal with that at times, but I don't think that's unexpected. Like these are two They're young still guys. Very young. I mean, yeah. And, and playmaking is like the last frontier for both of them. And I think they've, they've both improved on that front and, and Tatum has become like better and better and better at it. But it's just like, there, there have been a lot of challenges for them through this season that have nothing to do with them. Yeah. And I think it comes back to the point you said about maybe Brad letting them off the hook. I think like if you want to be a championship level team and build championship habits, I think the loss to the Hornets on Sunday morning is a thing that's like more problematic where it's like Tatum didn't have it in that game. They weren't just like going to be able to win with just effort and they clearly didn't have it. And it's not too surprising if, um, you know, Tristan Thompson thinks the regular season games are horse poop or, um, and so you want that, I guess, more like consistency of just high effort every single night. But I also, Jalen Brown dropped 38 points uh, against the Thunder and was doing everything he could to kind of try to make an impact. But he also was playing with a bunch of lineups that had Evan Fournier giving you nothing and then a lots of Romeo Lankford and uh, some Jabari Parker. It just It's just going to be difficult to kind of move forward, but... There are some. There have been some bright spots uh, recently. I think two, the both of the rookies have played well. I th- we'll start off with this question from Fetzner. He's from Sweden, so shout out to our Swedish listeners. Uh, this is says from a fellow Green Bean supporter. Please talk about Green Bean. And so Jay, Aaron Neesmith had himself a game against the Hornets on Wednesday night. Knocked down a three. His shooting is still not like as advertised, but man, that guy plays with some reckless energy. The man just truly, truly doesn't stop. He's a cannonball at all times. Someone uh, 
tweeted me that he's like Luis from Mighty Ducks, the guy who like they put the he couldn't stop and he would just fucking run in or skate in a straight line 150 miles an hour and would just crash through things and th- remember they try to like put the cans on the ice to get him to stop and he just barreled through them that i was i was crying laughing at that treat at that, <laughs> well, that tweet that's a great answer to the, another question we have from ashy larry twitch stevenson what action movie or historical event best exemplifies Neesmith energy? You answered with the, or the Twitter user answered with a great example, but he's wild. He's just crashing the boards, jumping on every single play, uh, plays a phenomenal free safety. How many uh, just turnovers did he create just by, or at least knocking the ball away, just running back on defense when the Hornets were trying to start something in transition. He's just, his body is flying around and, he was playing big minutes down the stretch in that game uh, and just playing very solid. Uh, the Celtics were getting cooked in pick and roll. Just Cody Zeller taking them over. I just thought it was w- kind of wild how a simple pick and roll beat the Celtics so many times. But then I thought Neesmith did a pretty good job of weak side help and then was just playing effort plays the entire time. And maybe maybe Aaron Neesmith will be there uh emotional and spiritual leader by just his high high energy plays <laughs> maybe uh he's gotta work his way into the regular rotation first which he has done um lately i guess but yeah he just just really fucking plays hard and and you can see a path to him becoming a valuable nba player and that, that's the most important thing for the Celtics. Like, it's really important for them that at least one of Romeo Lankford and Aaron Neesmith pans out. And you can see the path for, for Neesmith. The path is hit threes and be a fucking demon of energy on defense. And that, like, that's... You can be a valuable player just by doing those two things. And so... He's come such a long way from the beginning of the season. Like to see him out there scoring 15 points and adding nine rebounds, three blocks, and three steals. And then to remember, like at the beginning of the season, he had no fucking idea what was going on. Um it's it's impressive. And it, if you talk to anyone in that organization, they just have said all along, like Neesmith just really, really works at it. Just never really got too down on himself for not knowing what the fuck was going on. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kept kind of chipping away. And and I, I think he had a lot of excuses for the slow start to the season. It was um like he didn't he literally didn't play five on five for nine months. The first time he did was in training camp. Which is wild. Yeah. Like he had an injury that ended his college year and cut short or didn't. Yeah. Cut short, you know, his preparation for the draft. And so he didn't have summer league. He was just getting back into game shape. Never mind like NBA speed of things. When, when he showed up in Boston, I remember (laughs) like one of the first practices Brad got asked, 
something like, is Aaron going to be in the rotation? He's like, the rotation? Like, <laughs> the, the guy just played for the first time in in months yesterday. Like, what what am I what am I supposed to tell you? I don't, I don't know. Um. So, but he he has come a really really long way, and and it's promising that that he's starting to show signs of like the vague 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 outline of a three and D guy. Yeah, and knocking down threes is important in that, and I think that his just shooting is one reason why he's kind of above um. Romeo Langford at this point, although I think Romeo Langford would be uh, a better defender. Just to answer the question, what historical event best exemplifies his energy? I'm going to have to go with the the labor movement around the turn of the century when Teddy Roosevelt took office after McKinley was assassinated, and just I mean the antitrust busting, the the strikes. I think just the progress as we went from the Gilded Age to the Progressive Age is just Aaron Neesmith's energy. I think is perfectly exemplified by um, kind of the populist movement of the early 19th or early 20th century. Um, Dylan and Towns asks, are there any worries about Romeo Lankford and his complete lack of offensive game so far? And I think that's an interesting question. Uh, what, what the fuck <laughs> were you just talking about? <laughs> I, I tried to sneak that past you. I'm talking about the transition from a pre-industrial society in America in the late 18th or late 19th century to a post-industrial society where labor unions became more and more popular as uh, you had these larger and larger factories. The labor movement grew, a lot of that having to do with the trust busting, the populist movement that started in the uh, early 1900s. Yo, I hate you sometimes. (laughs) Answer the question about Romeo Langford and why him not having an offensive game is a problem for the Celtics. Because uh, they're basically playing four on five when he's on the court. This is facts. That's a tough one. Um, because if he plays playoff minutes, then the other team can really game plan to just leave him. Um, because he has scored like like 10 points total in the last month, even though he was playing regular minutes for part of that stretch. Um, Yeah. And because he's good enough defensively that you want him on the court and his defensive versatility can be a factor for the Celtics, but but he's not, not if like, he can't knock down shots from the corner because they're going to teams are going to leave him wide open. And if he can't do anything with it, he's not scoring good. 5.7 points per 36 minutes. Not great. And that's after scoring 7.7 points per 36 minutes last season. Like his his lack of offensive production is is very, very eye opening. Like it's it's big, and will it even matter though? Like in this hypothetical world where the Celtics are healthy, and I don't know if we can even uh, imagine that. But we talked a lot about, or I've talked a lot about their top seven guys. Uh, if they play seven guys, the kind of the core four: Fournier, and then the two bigs of Tristan Thompson and. Um, Robert Williams, there's not a lot of minutes to go around, and it feels like the eighth person in that rotation has to be Peyton Pritchard at this point. And we got a question from Matthew Franklin 
um, about Pritchard getting overlooked and the kind of Tremont starting over him when Kemba was out. I I think that's mostly to boost the bench because Peyton Pritchard has been that good, and it was kind of to use um, him as kind of to stagger with Jason Tatum. But Pritchard has just he's been a lot more consistent and it seems to be a guy who can attack the basket which is something the Celtics have really struggled with I think he's cemented himself as like at least a guy who's going to get 15 minutes a game come the playoffs assuming everyone is healthy he's just been yeah there won't be 15 minutes a game for Pritchard I who's the eighth guy off the bench I like I are they going to go to they'll only have like five to ten minutes for the eighth guy off the bench whoever it is I think, but Pritchard's that guy. I think we've seen Brad, especially when teams go to kind of switch heavy lineups, which I think they will uh, to kind of, I think that's the best way to slow down the Celtics is kind of switch everything because they're not going to really punish you in size or inside. I think this, this Brad likes to counter with multiple guards, multiple guys who can shoot Peyton Pritchard and guys who can move the ball. I'm not surprised if they run out like a three guard lineup with Peyton Pritchard. I think he's just uh, at least someone who's built up trust, uh, with Brad Stevens, whereas Neesmith, you don't know what you're like. Neesmith and Romeo are clearly switchable defenders, can do a lot more in terms of versatility, but in terms of making plays or making just doing anything in offense, creating Peyton Pritchard is like head and shoulders above both of them. Yeah, and he's shooting close to 50% from three over the last two months. Like he's been on an absolute tear, and it, I don't think it's gotten enough attention usually because he he doesn't have like huge usage he's not except the other night when he hit had 28 points and hit like six or seven threes whatever it was um but he has been very consistent from deep he shoots from insane range sometimes which is the jay king special nothing jay king likes more than deep shoot deep shots from three can really change the spacing a little bit for your team um and yeah i think he's shown the consistency that langford and neesmith have not and langford like we talk about you know the the excuses for for neesmith having a a slow start like langford has all that too he he was injured didn't have you know it was his right hand his shooting hand so he didn't have much chance to work on his bad jump shot um then he he had a case of covid as well right when he was about to to hop into the lineup so he's got all the excuses too but you know when you're playing a guy who has never produced on offense like there's there's just a burden on the other players and so but yeah Pritchard has been absolutely the guy and if you go away from Pritchard it's only because you're favoring defensive versatility like that would be the only reason because otherwise he's just outproduced the other options whether it's Grant Williams whether it's Aaron Neesmith whether it's Romeo Lankford Shemi like Pritchard has just outproduced them all and and given the Celtics, like he's been very important for the Celtics this year, kind of finding him in, in a way like similar to Brad Wanamaker last season, where his minutes, at least to the outside, kind of seem like like found gold. You know, like like nobody really expected, nobody on the outside at least expected Pritchard to help much this season, but the Celtics needed him to. 
and they needed him to be solid, and he has all season long. I just feel like he's an instant boost on offense, just a guy who can shoot like that, a guy who will play make, create uh, opportunities for other people. All Anytime he's in the game with Robert, he's looking to get the alley-oop there. He's gotten a lot better at um, driving to the rim and uh, kind of getting layups that way, just punishing sm- um bigger defenders if they if like this people are going to switch heavy lineups i think peyton pritchard just with his speed is one of the guys who can really uh punish the mismatch against a big but it's gonna be interesting i think he's just an important piece moving forward and i know brad likes to kind of uh go smaller uh especially if teams are switching a bunch so i wouldn't be surprised if peyton pritchard's in the lineup all right let's wrap the show up there's a couple questions about what the Celtics are going to do in the offseason but um, thanks to the folks who asked those questions. We're in the middle of the season now. We got to focus in on what's going on. And so we will start with the world famous potable six pack. Jay, the six best moments that have occurred over the last two games. What is your number one pick? This is not the best moment, but most important, the most interesting moment. Marcus Smart getting suspended. It kind of came out of nowhere. Like I like had 15 minutes before. Yeah, right before Brad was speaking, I was I was on the Peloton, get, going for a Peloton ride. I hopped on the Zoom call right after the Peloton. I I hadn't even seen. Someone asked about Marcus Smart getting suspended. I was like, "What the fuck did I miss?" And and then uh, you go and find out that it was for what they said was threatening language to a ref. I think the Celtics they seemed kind of pissed off about it. Like Brad told Grandy that basically that he thought it was unfair that the league decided as late as it did um, to suspend. Which I think it's a valid Smart. critique. Like, yeah, and then, and then I think the Celtics were kind of, and and I I believe Marcus Smart was kind of in the camp that he probably didn't do it enough to warrant a suspension, and he he and the team thought like maybe a fine would have been just fine. No pun intended. Um, but you know, I guess, I guess speaking or criticizing a ref after the game and, and especially like, like not in the, not while there's time on the clock. I think that that weighed into the NBA's decision. Um, but yeah, just, just interesting. And yeah. I, I don't think it's like it. It's not something to overreact to. It was just Marcus Smart being frustrated after three losses and after some calls didn't go the Celtics' way, and just let an official have it. Like it wasn't. I don't think it's anything to like, like overreact. And I was actually surprised that nobody in Boston media really lit into smart because I feel like every time something happens with smart like that, there's normally the overreaction and like, you know, has he gone too far? Yada, yada, yada. It's like some stuff happens and I I don't think it's too big a deal. And it came after a game where he shot one from 11 from deep. And so I was also surprised by the lack of uh, outrage. I think I saw some tweets, but um just to come to defense of Marcus, the uh, officiating that game was uh, absolutely awful. Uh, just whistles galore um, was not great, but I have no idea what Marcus said, but it was surprising to kind of have that suspension come out uh, kind of like right before the game. 
For my first pick, it's going to be old friend Brad Wanamaker, who just turned in one of the most electric travels of all time. Just a nice little bunny hop over the half court line. Didn't really see what he was going to do with it. Uh, I just thought it was a nice moment from the solid and sturdy Brad Wanamaker. I just, it was, it was fun. It just immediately made me laugh out loud. That was just an incredible travel. You just don't see him like that anymore. Not in the NBA, at least. Maybe in like CYO, sixth, seventh grade CYO. He did a ginormous leap and had no idea where he was going with the basketball. And he just kind of landed, and then uh, it was funny. Just an absolutely epic travel. It was startling. Startling. I enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Another thing that I enjoyed was Robert Williams' block on um, Graham, Javante Graham in transition where – he just kept pointing at Devontae Graham like someone's got to pick him up. And then around the three-point line, he realized no one's going to pick him up. So he's like, all right, I'll take two steps and block him. And just absolutely destroyed, blocked Graham. Uh, it was wild just to see how much uh, ground he covered. But it was it was like someone's got to guard him. And then he just closed all of that ground in an instant. It was kind of yeah. wild. It was such an incredible play because he wanted someone else to pick the guy up. Like he was he was frantically waving for someone, and in this case, it was Aaron Neesmith was the closest guy, just frantically calling for somebody to pick pick up Graham. Nobody did, so Williams just put on the afterburners and said, "Fuck it, fuck it, let's do it live." <laughs> did it himself. It was just an incredible play, um, and that like that's the Robert Williams difference, you know, with. Any other center on the Celtics, probably just about any other player on the Celtics, that's a, a layup and a moment that everyone's pissed off about. Instead, Williams just covers up mistakes. So he's important. He's become very important, which is, you know, he's, he's another guy who's come a long way. There have been some good things from this season. Like there have been some very good things to come from this season. And I think, you know, Jalen Brown has become a three-point killer. He's he's really in, improved his three-point versatility. Um he and Jason Tatum have, have both grown as playmakers. Like there's a lot of good that has come from this rocky season. Um my turn. I'm gonna go with Tristan Thompson. Kicking the ball out. It, it, it's not just one play, although it, it happened in the Hornets game. He's he's doing it pretty regularly now, like getting offensive rebounds and pretty quickly finding a teammate on the perimeter. So they must have just lit him up in just shown him just clips hammered it home to him all season long because early in the season. He never kicked out. It didn't matter how open guys were. It didn't matter who was wide open on the perimeter. He was going to put that bitch back up. Not anymore. Not anymore. My guy Tristan is kicking it out to the perimeter and finding teammates and making much better use of his offensive rebounds. So salute to him for changing his habit and and becoming a guy willing to spray it out to the perimeter that is actually pretty important because he gets a ton of offensive rebounds and those can be chances for the Celtics to really, you know, get get clean looks at three. Um, three assists other, 
He had three assists against the Hornets. Um, and he got Jason Tatum a catch-and-shoot three opportunity, which is kind of rare with the Celtics offense these days. He's kicking it out. It, 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 and it started like it was like an overnight switch. It went from like he never kicked out to he pretty consistently kicks out now. And Since he came back, he's had multiple multi-assist games. He had five assists against the Lakers. Yeah, He's, he's throwing the ball around. Tristan Dimes. Dish, Dishton Thompson. Terrible, but better than I. <laughs> better than Tristan Dimes. So you win that round. Dishton Thompson. Uh, my other pick, Brad Stevens stamping around on the floor after Tremont Waters threw the pass to... Oh, uh, you stole my pick. I, I think yes. it was Jason Tatum, but really it was, it, was, it was to nobody. It was to the Hornets bench. He was just irate. And I, I think he was irate at Tremont Waters for throwing a wild pass. I, I don't think he was irate at Tatum for being in the wrong place. For not making the cut that Tremont thought he was going to. Yeah, it was like it was pretty much as furious as you'll ever see Brad because it was a, a pretty big moment. The Celtics had a little bit of momentum and they were going in transition and Tremont just found nobody. And and Brad, I mean, he was really like 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 a kid with like a temper tantrum at at the the supermarket because his mom wouldn't get like like the bag of chips he wanted, like just fucking stamping on the ground, stomping everywhere. It was electric viewing. I don't think he threw a clipboard, but it felt like he threw a clipboard. And I mean, that was the the. That game against the Hornets was the Tremont Waters experience. He gets the start. I've been saying start Tremont for a while because I think you want to have Peyton Pritchard in that bench unit. And in the first half, Tremont Waters was fantastic. He got to the rim, attacking, made some nice passes. And then in the second half, when um, Fast PP was just bleeding all over the court because he has so much heart, you can't stop the bleeding, Tremont came back in the game and was not great. Uh, he threw some ridiculous passes. He had another one where he basically threw a giant uh, like looping pass all the way across court that led to a turnover. And I just thought it was funny after the game, Brad, when asked about it, he made an emphasis to talk about Tremont's effort in the first quarter and then just didn't mention Tremont's game the rest of the game. But he was like, Tremont was great in the first. In the first, I think Tremont was pretty good. And then uh, he kind of saw the the bad of Tremont in the second half. So uh, that was, that was going to be my last pick, but I'm going to, I have one backup. How about Tremont getting the start in front of Nick Friedman? Yeah. The guy, the guy who uh, trained Tremont pre-draft. Just a special moment between one of the, the hottest rising coaches in the league and one of his, his players. Yeah, it was a fun experience for me to see Nick Freeman coach from nine stories up. I could see just like the little bit of his head when he sat behind the bench. You know, you could see his reactions. Could you smell the intensity and focus from there? More so pregame when I was watching him kind of run drills with guys because that's when he's best. He's kind of an on-court coach. He can um, small little point guard himself. So it was nice to see him get the drills in. But uh, you could see his intensity. He was fist pumping. He was doing some good things. Uh and so it was good to see Nick Freeman and his protege, Tremont Waters, out there. For my final pick, I'm just going to go. They have those goofy uh, Jumbotron segments, and they asked all the players what they would, what they thought their teammates would be if they weren't playing basketball. 
The two funniest ones to me was Robert Williams saying Marcus Smart would be a con man <laughs> as his profession, just grifting everywhere. And then Marcus Smart, just this felt like it was a funny joke, but it's kind of mean just saying that Peyton Pritchard would work at Subway. Like he has no other value. He would just be a sandwich maker if he wasn't playing basketball. I just thought those were the, the two funniest things that come out of that segment. Nothing wrong with working at Subway, man. No, nothing wrong with being a con man either. I think they're both. Yeah, some, some may say there is something wrong with being a con man. Yeah, but it depends what scale. A small but Marcus scale would have been a great con man. Oh, he still could be. I think he there's a he could start some investment firm. I, I would I would invest immediately. He could con me with ease. I would fall for any Marcus Smart grift. And so uh, that's a good place to end it. If you guys enjoy the episode, uh, thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Give us five stars. It really helps out. And uh, tune in next week. We'll see what happens if the Celtics are healthy. I would imagine if they win, if they continue to have injuries, they might struggle against the Spurs and the Trailblazers. Whatever happens, we'll be here to tell you about it. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of 